everyone. Uh, this is John. We're about to get to my interview with Julie Lowe, uh, but I just wanted to make note of something that I, I referenced in the podcast that Julie was actually scheduled for our Parenting Today podcast, but we had some scheduling conflicts. And so we ended up just interviewing her for the local youth worker. Uh, you'll definitely notice that some of these questions are aimed more towards parents because we expected her to be on the Parenting Today podcast, but there's definitely a lot of good content for youth workers to listen to and to think of ways in which, you know, discussion about body images uh, going to apply to youth workers dealing with students. Uh, so I know there's a lot of good stuff here. Uh, Julie uh, deals with this issue a lot, and uh, we've appreciated a lot of what she's had to say at RYM's Youth Leader Training and, and other places. So uh, looking forward to uh, getting this out there to you all and hope you enjoy it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. Uh, today, we will be talking to Julie Lowe. Julie, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Julie is a faculty member at Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, CCEF, where she has served for more than 15 years. Is that right, or is it more than that now. <laughs> it's probably more, but let's stick with 15. <laughs> it's, it's hard to keep younger. up, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, she holds an MA in counseling from Biblical Theological Seminary. She is a licensed professional counselor with over 15 years of counseling experience. Uh, Julie is married to Greg, and they have five children and serve as foster and adoptive parents as well. Uh, those who listen to RYM's podcast network will know that Julie was on episodes 141 through 145 of The Local Youth Worker. That's when we broke up the episodes into five smaller segments. Uh, she also came on, I believe it was the second season of Parenting Today, episode 8.1 and 8.2, uh, discussing her book, Childproof, Parenting by Faith, Not Formula. Uh, that's a bit available through New Growth Press and Amazon. If anyone wants to go and check that out, be sure and, and pick up that resource uh, Julie has also uh, spoken at RYM's Youth Leader Training Conference in Nashville, as well as uh, Wildy Northeast in Paradise, Pennsylvania. So those who've been in RYM circles know Julie, have uh, possibly been able to interact with her at some of the, the conferences. Julie, I appreciate you taking the time to, to be able to come on the podcast and just uh, continual partnership between CCEF and, and RYM. So thanks for taking the time out today. Yeah, I'm glad we can. Uh, so, so today we're going to be talking about uh, body image. And again, just telling our listeners to, to be sure to go to ccef.org. There's a lot of great resources on their website about this specific topic, as well as a host of, of issues. And um, this discussion was intended for our Parenting Today podcast, but we couldn't get everyone's schedules together. So uh, we're having Julie on the local youth worker, but really this works out well because season four of the local youth worker, our entire theme is is partnering with parents. And so even though some of the questions we'll be asking will be uh, kind of from a parent's perspective, this will be helpful for youth workers. And we know that there are parents who are listening to the local youth worker podcast as well. So um Anyway, it will definitely be related. And so, Julia, let's begin uh, by having a, a biblical understanding of the body. And, and kind of, as I said, thinking from a parent's perspective, maybe answering this question of what are some biblical truths you think parents should be passing on to their children uh, that are just kind of foundational truths that God's Word tells us about the body? 
Yeah, probably more specifically when we're talking about body image issues, it's really about appearance, right? So what does what does God say, what does scripture say about appearance? Um, and it says a lot, a lot of helpful things. So between the body and appearance, on one hand, we're just called to be good stewards of the body God's given us, of the life God's given us, of our appearance. Um, good stewardship often morphs into obsession or over um, uh, overvaluing appearance, and and that's gone on since the days of Scripture. I've I've just been recently listening to the story of Esther's a sermon series on it, and just impressed with. I mean, the interesting thing about Persian culture was um, what did they value in women? They valued appearance, uh, attractiveness, sexuality. Um, you have the king who was uh, lording and uh, parading his wealth before people. And so you see even in Persian culture, in biblical times, uh, values, cultural values that we still struggle with today. The size of your dress and the uh, wealth of your material possessions. Um, so there's where it runs amok. So see mm -hmm. how quickly I went off there. But appearance... You know, the Lord says over and over again, man judges uh, by the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So again, there you see the weighing of what's of value, not letting your beauty be merely of what is outward appearance. So we tend to take these extreme views, right? That appearance is either wrong to care at all or uh, you care too much. And I think scripture holds that balance intact that uh, is not what brings identity to you, but clearly how you conduct yourself, um, how you look, um, are all stewardship principles as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's definitely something I, I want us to get into as we discuss stewardship. But as we kind of begin to frame this discussion a little bit, just, you know, again, the, the topic of body image can bring a lot of thoughts to, to the surface. And so I know that can be a fairly broad topic. I mean, I think oftentimes when we say body image, we think eating disorders, but I know uh, body dysmorphia, self-hatred, those can all be aspects of this discussion. So maybe just kind of touch on each of those categories a little bit, maybe to help clarify this discussion and get our listeners, all of us kind of on the same page as we're, we're talking about this a little bit. Yeah. So let me let me ask some broader questions. How many of us have ever struggled with food, with exercise, with weight, with our own appearance? How many of us have ever felt not good enough, attractive enough, successful enough, or noticed enough? Um, how many of us have struggled with imperfections on ourselves or compared ourselves to others? Well, then we've struggled to some degree or another at some time in our lives with body image issues. So you're right. We tend to think of eating disorders, if I have a severe or any level of eating disorder, then this applies to me. Um, or even body dysmorphia, just a very distorted view of, of yourself. But when you ask those questions, what I like about that is it, it brings all of us into the mix and say how easily we're all tempted to some degree, and it's a continuum, right? Um, to some degree or another, it touches us all, that we can struggle with a love of beauty, addictive dieting, food rituals, obsessive exercising, perfectionism, um, and how much it touches men and women alike. Um, that we can we can get so caught up in finding identity or value in outward appearance, and that means we all wrestle with it to some degree. Mm. 
Yeah, and and get, going back to your your point on stewardship, um, we 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 know our bodies are a gift from God. Uh, we don't. It's so it's so difficult as we begin to have this conversation. We can become Gnostics, just hating all things physical and just emphasizing, you know, the spiritual too much. And so, as we think about stewarding the body and just kind of what is appropriate stewardship and even again thinking as parents trying to train our children to properly steward their bodies to think about what they eat how much they're exercising or just having some kind of physical activity but also not putting too much emphasis on that where they become obsessed with this i know there's there's a lot there but kind of can you give some guidance and direction on that yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like guardrails you're putting up. I don't want you to fall off side one side of the mm-hmm. cliff where you don't care at all about your stewarding your, your life and your body and your resources. And then you fall off on the other side, which is what we're talking mainly about, where it is all about appearance. And I think the key words that we'll keep coming back to are identity and value, mm-hmm. that when those things begin to dictate our worth, it's not Sometimes it's not the issue of the behavior themselves, like um, wanting to dress up or look attractive or exercise. Um, It is the degree to which we allow those activities to dictate our worth as human beings and that we use them to rank ourselves and we find identity in those. So another kind of metaphor I think of is is the mirror, the metaphor of a mirror, um, where mirrors isolate us. We put... It's like walking body image issues or those of us who may struggle with them. I'm saying those of us because I'm saying to some degree we all can. Mm -hmm. But for somebody who becomes consumed, it's like living in a room of mirrors where everywhere you turn, it reflects back on you. It is um, it's the lens through which you see yourself, the lens that you think others see you. And it enslaves you and I to an image of what others think of us. And those things destroy relationship. They keep us from really being known and and knowing others because there's always this mirror standing in the way. There's always this fear of vulnerability because should you see imperfection or weakness, then I'm not going to be valued any longer. Um, And it's carnival mirror, right? Body image issue, body dysmorphia, probably a good way of talking about that is like holding up a carnival mirror that distorts. It's, It's a mirror, but it's not accurately representing what you are. It's a distortion of what you are. And so when we're driven by those things, it will always be a carnival mirror to us, distorting how tall or how short or how valued we are by those things. Where the only accurate mirror can be scripture. Only Mm -hmm. scripture and what God says to be true of us can reflect accurately both the good and the bad within us. Mm. Yeah, really good. And I like how you talked about being known and the importance of be, of being known. Maybe could, could you dig into that a little bit more and how this can kind of push back against some of the, the body image issues we have, just that idea of being known? Yeah, well, uh, a couple of thoughts. We're, we're image bearers, right? So we're meant to bear an image. Um, and how quickly those image that I want to bear the image of Christ becomes I want to bear the image of culture. I want to bear the image of what other people value. And when you do that, it's... Um, it's like taking a mirror. I, I like to think of those handheld mirrors that mm-hmm. people used to have. You put that handheld mirror, it's like walking around all day long, either in the room full of mirrors or a handheld mirror that I can slightly see around it. I can slightly see you, but it's I'm only seeing you through the lens in which you see me. I'm always constantly thinking about you through the lens of what are you thinking about me. 
So it means I can't, I can't let down my guard. I can't be vulnerable and genuine because I'm always going to be concerned about what you're seeing, what I'm mirroring back to you. So I like this picture of a mirror because it just becomes all about an obsession with self. Um, I'm fixated and we're people fascinated with ourselves, which is the danger and how social media is added to this for many of us because I can keep creating myself however I want. I can keep putting an image of myself out there, um, sometimes accurate, many times not accurate. And then we're judging each other, we're ranking each other by those measures. Mm -hmm. Um, And so how can I really know you if all I know is the image you put forth? How can you really know me if I'm more concerned with how I'm presenting myself to you than really living in authentic community? And godly relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know social media. That's something for sure. That's a category we're, we're going to, to get into. Uh, but what would you say is, you know, the the root struggle of body image? I mean, I know we've talked about appearance. We're talking about you know identity and and value. And, and again, this can be some underlying sins, not just one sin. It's, it's kind of a commonality with some of these struggles. And of course. You know, I want to say at the same time, as, you, as your colleague, Dr. Mike Emlett, talks about us being sufferers, not just sinners, but we are, you know, broken creatures as well. And so our sin can get intertwined in, into all this. But what are some of those root issues as you, you dig down and get into this that you see that are fairly common and some of those that you've interacted with? Yeah, well, just piggybacking off of what you said about Mike Emlett. So he talks about we're sinners, we're sufferers, we're saints. And there's the image bearers. Uh, we're called to bear an image, um, but we're also sufferers. We're, we're impacted by the brokenness of the world and our culture. We're impacted by our own sin, our own desire to maybe run, uh, run away from needing the Lord and being independent. So we're made to be image bearers, but There's a corrupted image that often lures us away from what is good and right and true. And our hearts, our hearts long for that. Our hearts are prone to wander. So we tend to focus on the created thing more than the creator. Um, God creates the world corrupts. We corrupt. So we take the the fact that we are made to live in an image. We're we're made to reflect something, Mm -hmm. to mirror something. But our hearts are just prone to wander to that which is corrupted rather than that which is created and good. Mm. And I think there's underneath that is an independence from God. Underneath that is a desire to find value and identity and worth apart from the Lord. Mm. Yeah, that, that's helpful to hear because, uh, you know, you think of like even Paul's command to, to focus on what is unseen and not what is was seen. And, and I know, I think in, in that context, I mean, he's talking about ultimately eternity, thinking about the hope that we have to come. But then even we could say, you know, there's some application of that as well as we are, you know, broken, sinful people, we are prone to turn inward and to think about our own image and become narcissistic, self-focused. But to, to be reminded, as you're saying, rooted in creation, how we were created to give off an image of, of our creator. And so just seeing some of the relation there. Yeah. And I love, actually, I'm glad you mentioned that passage at second Corinthians four. And I use that all the time when I'm talking about body image, because it says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all surpassing powers of God, not ourselves. Hmm. And I love, there's this picture of this beautifully painted vase that's glossy and articulate and we put it up on a shelf to be admired by the world and the Lord puts up this dirty clay pot and says no be this Hmm. 
be this jar of clay. You're not called to be this perfect Christian. And we like to morph that into our corrupted image too. Um, but he's saying, be a dirty clay pot. A matter of fact, have cracks, have holes, have weaknesses. Why? Because uh, Christ shines all the more brightly within you. That in your weakness, he is strong. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. But we're all too busy trying to cover up those cracks and patch them and paint over them and put on a nice glossy finish because we're afraid. And what we ultimately do is we prevent the Lord from shining through in our lives. So there's where it goes on. The passage goes on to say, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed by day by day. Mm. Um, and that we fix our eyes not on what is temporary, but what is eternal. So there's this picture of it's not about the external, it's about the internal, and ultimately, ultimately about the eternal. Mm. So it doesn't even stop with just navel gazing and my character inside is ultimately pointing to eternity. So you have this picture of the Lord moving us away from that which is temporary and external to that which is eternal. Um, so it's a, it's a great passage to use. Mm, yeah, and, and so Julie, talk to us too a little bit just about, you know, this not being a female issue. Uh, that again, as, as I said, when we bring up body image, uh, we, we often think eating disorders, I think might be uh, for most what, what comes to mind first. But then also, I think, you know, we just assume this is more of a, a female issue. And, uh, you know, what are you seeing just in the counseling office and in, in your own research? Is this becoming more of a balanced issue that males and females are, are dealing with? Uh, just talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, for sure. Even the research will demonstrate uh, boys, guys, men, whatever developmental age you're at, struggle with body image issues um, or image issues, identity image type things. And again, I like picking on social media, but with social media, it's all image related, right? It's what we're putting forth there. But you look at even um, what we see as typical body image issues uh, like weight, um, it is crossing gender lines and you're seeing more guys struggle with it. So anorexia is the desire to be thin. And then there's this term out there, bigorexia, which is the, the opposite that you see guys struggle with, with weightlifters and power builders where they want to be bigger and bigger. And value and identity is in how muscular, uh, how strong, how athletic they are. Um, wrestlers, weightlifters, you see there's a culture of steroids that's happening in youth sports. Uh, why? Because of body image type stuff, success being driven by a certain image of success and athleticism. Interesting. And I've wondered too, just with LGBTQ issues, mm -hmm. how, how these um, just get into this topic of, of body image, as you're saying, this issue of body image is manifested in some ways among males differently than it is among females. Just add to that discussion, LGBTQ, I mean, gender dysphoria, all of that kind of in this, in this mix. Yeah, and there's where I, I probably need to think about that a little more. But for sure, it impacts, or it impacts you. I mean, because even the gender identity stuff is all about who am I? What do I look like? Where do I find value? How, what image do I project? Um, so how can it not inform that and be a major part of those struggles as well? Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah. And uh, Julia, going back to kind of the parents' perspective here, um, just, just speaking to... Mm -hmm. Some some advice on fathers, you know, speaking to daughters, mothers speaking to sons, kind of giving guidance on okay how do, how 
should they address this thinking again from <laughs> trying to be sensitive to the opposite gender and how they think? And uh, of course, there, there might just be the answer of um, fathers saying uh, to their daughters, go talk to your mother or <laughs> mothers saying to the sons, go talk to your fathers. Uh, but, but some thoughts there of how each gender needs to be sensitive to how they uh, discuss this, especially when it comes to their own children as they're having these discussions. Yeah, I'm of the mindset where I would love, I love hearing my husband speak to my daughters and I love speaking to my sons, but they're hearing that male and female perspective on what brings real worth and value and what brings real beauty. <coughs> Excuse me. So I want, you know, I want my husband to compliment my girls on their appearance, but I also want them to know it's not about their appearance, that what he values, what people value is their character, the kind mm -hmm. of person they are, and that those compliments are bounced out by many more compliments that are characterological in nature, that are about um, how they live before the Lord. Um, and it's really important too, I mean, him doing that reflects to my daughters what kind of men they should aspire for, and the way I conduct myself in front of my sons uh, says something about what kind of woman they should aspire for. So that's even convicting for me to say, how much time do I spend in front of a mirror? And what am I teaching either of the the boys or the girls in our home? What are we reflecting that's truly a value? Um, and I, I want my kids to know enjoying uh, looking nice is not anti-biblical. Mm -hmm. um, it's not mm -hmm. wrong to care about appearance. It's just that Matter of fact, the world is full of beauty and God's creative liberty. The The main point in that, though, is it all points back to the creator, right? Mm -hmm. That anything good within me, anything beautiful within me really needs to reflect back to him who is the creator of all that is beautiful and good. Um, and how do we train our children to think that way? Mm. So I, I went off on a bit of a tangent there, but I think it's really helpful when, when fathers and mothers are are talking to both boys and girls about these things and, and showing what's worth valuing. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that's a helpful tangent to, to get on. I mean, as, as you said, you know, our, our children are watching us. I mean, it's these kind of discussions where it's, it's somewhat terrifying to think, okay, what are we teaching our children all the time by looking in the mirror too much or talking about what we're eating or exercising and just how much that can dominate the conversation. And as you said as well, also complimenting our children on their beauty, but trying to emphasize the character and not just the, the outward appearance. And so that's, you know, just a helpful reminder of just how, how we've got to be constantly discipling the heart. And, and of course this, this ultimately gets down to the heart. I mean, constantly of just, okay, it could be okay to, to look nice as you, you said, but then going back to kind of identity and, and value, okay, what's going on in the heart on the heart level, just as parents kind of having those conversations with, with our children. Um, I also, I wanted to throw out a scenario for you um, just to kind of help us think through uh, again, some more of these conversations that we could have uh, with our, our children. Um, you know, just, Say a child is getting mocked or bullied at school because of their physical appearance. And let's say that the bullies are accurate in their assessment of what they're mocking, not necessarily, um, you know, just by the world standards, you know, that they're, they're accurate. Okay. As, as parents, how do we um, talk about this? Again, appearance not being our ultimate identity, 
uh, that we're, again, not just trying to puff our children up and, uh, you know, build self-esteem, but, but how do we go about having some kind of conversation with our child, uh, you know, in this scenario, when, when it's, again, a very sensitive subject, they're being mocked, they're being bullied at school, we're trying to not say their ultimate value is in their looks, but, but trying to come alongside and help them just process that, think through that. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of thoughts I have as you say that. I think that's so important that we acknowledge and acknowledge to our young people that great and small exist in every exchange of life. Um, that there are the rich and the poor. There are the successful and the unknown. There are the attractive and the unattractive um, by worldly standards. That great and small does exist in humankind but how quickly a God-ordained difference becomes a tool we use to measure ourselves. And so here's the struggle that as adults, we can get caught up in so much wanting to make the child feel better that we negate the reality that maybe they are unattractive, maybe there is a disability, maybe there is something that by the world's standards is considered um, unacceptable or less than And for me to sit and say, I'm so sorry, that hurts and the brokenness of that. But how quickly as a parent, I want to comfort them and say, it doesn't matter what they think. I think you're beautiful. I think you're attractive. But the problem there is I'm replacing one human's view for another human's Mm -hmm. view. So what I'm doing is I'm taking don't care what your friends think, care what I think, or I think you're valuable, when ultimately it's how does God see you? Who does God say you are? Is this what your value and worth is in? And yes, people may reject you, and that breaks my heart. Um, but any any value I find in my children needs to accurately reflect the value that God finds in them without negating the rejection they're feeling. Um, because how many kids, by the way, how many teenagers say, oh, it's okay, my, my peers think less of me because my mom loves me. Mm-hmm. Not many find that as helpful as we think it is when a parent says that because it doesn't it does not deal with the rejection they're experiencing from the people they care about. And so I think we need to do a better job of adults acknowledging, yeah, I'm so sorry you are being rejected here. And that's that's wrong and it's painful and they might never accept you. And then helping them say, but what does God say? What who does he say you are? Is this really what gives you worth? and value um and that we live in that complexity of a broken world that may never embrace them the way god embraces them and hopefully that draws them to want relationship with the lord more mm-hmm. yeah and I, I mean you said it as i was thinking it of, of what child would say they value you know they'd make a comment of well you're my mom or you're my my dad well, you, you have not, to say yeah, that. exactly exactly and so yes. yeah it's, it's obviously it's a very sensitive conversation uh but I mean, to, to try to just build them up, like, like we said, it, it's not, not only are their peers' uh, opinions oftentimes stronger than, than that of the parents, but if the child is getting their identity from their physical appearance, I mean, that is not going to, to foster any security because that can be taken from them the next day as they wake up and they have a huge zit on the end of their nose or whatever. Um, and so I think, yeah, helpful to, to get them to say, it doesn't matter our, our opinions, our thoughts, ultimately what, um, the father's thoughts are of his children. And, And really this goes back to something, I mean, you said at the beginning, kind of thinking of the culture that Esther was, was growing up in, in, in scripture. And, you know, for, 
I assume there are parents out there listening who are just thinking, I could never say that to my child, that they are not gifted maybe um, uh, with with beauty as uh, someone else in their class or or whatever. But, but that just shows the emphasis this culture has placed on outward appearance, that it is the end-all, be-all. And so maybe just talk on that a little bit of why is so much identity and worth placed on outward appearance? Well, yeah, let me try to give you a couple examples in our own home. A few are comical, but one is our, our youngest son um, is, is African-American, dark-skinned. And from a very early age, we've, we've made a point of talking about how we love how God made him. Um, and instinctively, he has talked about how it makes him feel different in a way that feels less than, which breaks my heart. And so there have been there have been numerous times where we go around the room and we'll just talk about how God makes us all different. And my husband will intentionally make comments like, I just love your color skin. I wish I had color skin like you do. And at six, maybe five years old, six years old, he turned to my husband very matter-of-factly and said, no, you don't. You're just saying that to make me feel better, <laughs> um, which I thought was so funny. I mean, genuinely, he meant it was heartfelt, but he was also trying to model, I love the way you are. I, I wish I could look like you. And and the uh, the insight of a child to say, I think you're just saying that to make me feel better, mm. um, which actually was a great conversation to follow, to say, I do, I do want you to feel good about who you are, but I also genuinely mean what I'm saying. But doesn't that speak to just what I said a moment ago, that we can give all the compliments in the world, but it's not really about what we think. It's helping them to think accurately about themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, a flip example is we have a son who's losing his vision. Um, and there are things he'll just never be good at now. Mm-hmm. And here we have a cultural world that says you can be anything you want to be. And we have the reality of saying, actually, you can't. You can't be anything you want to be. There are limitations there are things you will not possibly be able to do this side of heaven or, or apart from some intervention. Um, and why are we afraid of talking about limitations? I, I never want to limit my kids, but I also want to be realistic. But it feels like we're somehow being cruel by being honest. Mm-hmm. Um, or I think what culture says, well, you're limiting them. Instead of saying, well, that's never my intent, but my intent is to help my kids see themselves accurately. And then we have a God who does abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine. And he is the God that can that can overcome any obstacle and that can do miracles. So I'm not limiting, but I am being realistic. And somehow we, we just live at odds with that as parents, where we don't want to accept that because we feel like, I think the word is limiting our children. Yeah, I don't know if that answered the question. Uh, absolutely. I think that's, that's very helpful because, you know, if we even think of, you know, God, the father, how he talks to his children through his word. Uh, he doesn't pull any punches, so to speak, about the depravity of our hearts. And he doesn't do it to, to mock us or to belittle us or to shame us. He does that to ultimately help us and ultimately pointing us to Jesus. We need Jesus. We cannot fix ourselves. And we need to see that as parents to speak the truth about our children's hearts, to talk about their sin is not an unloving thing. But then even taking that further and to see, okay, well, the fall has not only affected our hearts, it's also affected our bodies, that we do have broken bodies. I mean, you sharing just the effects of the loss of vision for, for your son and, um, you know, just the difficulties, but the, the conversations that that allows for, that we've, we've got to see there are 
a multiple ways in which the sin is going to impact our physical bodies and that we as parents yeah. need to be having some of those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And the key to that. So we use that example. So he'll never be an astronaut. He'll never be a baseball player. Um, there are certain things this side of heaven or God intervening. He'll never do. And if for some reason we're proven wrong, it's because of the work of God within them. And that goes back to Second Corinthians, that we have this treasure in jars of clay. And that anything that pours forth really is a reflection of our creator. And that's, that's the image we want to keep giving our kids in ways that free them from having to perform and be perfectionistic. Mm-hmm. Well, Julia, let's talk a little bit about social media and, and, and body image. And I know earlier when you were talking about walking around with a handheld mirror, I was thinking that's, that's what we're doing you know, yeah. today is with cell our, phone. Yeah, our, our cell phones or, or those handheld mirrors. Um, just talking a bit about how has social media changed the conversation surrounding uh, body image? Well, I think it's made it maybe more covert. We don't think of social media as body image, but certainly as identity and image stuff. It's all about how everybody's seeing me, how many likes I get, how many responses I get. It's where it's another form of where where value and identity is found, and it's presentation, so it's appearance related, which is why I think of it in terms of body image. Um, and adults, we as adults play into it as well. We can live off of Instagram or Facebook or how many people have have checked our status and liked what we commented on or liked our pictures. Why is that? I, th- I think there's something about how we, we feel valued through that. And it's a misplaced value. Um, and with all the good social media can do, it just with anything, we tend to corrupt it. We tend to put too much into it. Um, and that's really the concern is what, what we do with it. And, and on top of that, I think it is peers raising peers, peers influencing peers, and the voice of Godly wise um, adults are being pushed out of the lives of youth. And so that's that's even a greater, more grievous concern that we don't think about uh, through social media and Internet. There's such a constant connection to peer group that you don't have wisdom outside yourself uh, speaking into those issues anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I mean, as we've already said, this is such a tough issue anyway of just the the condition of the fallen human heart, the obsession of just appearance with our culture. And now, you know, to have something in the pockets of, of young children constantly being fed images of themselves, of, of others. It's just, I mean, this is, you know, pouring fuel on the fire of all the the insecurities already dealing with. Yeah. And it's not distinctively a Christian or non-Christian issue. I mean, the interesting thing is all the secular literature out there is saying this. Mm -hmm. It's all saying research, factual research saying teenage girls are more depressed than ever the more they're on social media, uh, that social media contributes to anxiety and depression in teenagers. So isn't that fascinating that for some reason we want to buck up against that idea, um, but yet all the research is showing that that's exactly the impact it has on kids. Mm-hmm. And 
Julie, I know along with that research is the, the issue of pornography and just the, the prevalence of pornography. I mean, through every social media platform, uh, it's, you know, so easily accessible. I know stats are, are saying, you know, the average age of exposure is, is nine. And um, we had Ellen Dykus from Harvest USA come on the podcast not too long ago and just talking about how many, those stats between males and females kind of evening out a little bit with uh, porn exposure. Can you talk just a bit about how how pornography has affected, you know, body image. In some ways, that just seems like an obvious question, but but maybe even some of the the ways in which you've seen it in counseling and just some of your research. Yeah, it's the objectifying of outward appearance, right? And it's depersonalizing again. So this goes back to you're not really knowing or knowing others. Pornography means I have all the benefits of a relationship without any of the hardships of a relationship communication, working through conflict, really knowing somebody and being vulnerable. Pornography takes all that out. It objectifies the individual on the other end um, and creates a safe way to use people without being really living in community the way God's called us to. That's probably the most grievous of all of it. But then you see on both sides of the fence, here's where girls and guys are equally being impacted by pornography and the whole sexting comes up that the more pornography is being viewed, the more we feel completely comfortable um, texting someone, send, send me a nude, send me a naked picture. And that's happening at alarming rates. It's not if it happens, mm-hmm. it's really when it happens and preparing young people that um, that's a form of pornography. As a matter of fact, I've, I've talked with detectives and people who have said you know, kids are getting in serious legal trouble because they're passing on pictures of themselves even or their peers, and that is considered pornographic. And so the level at which social media takes those things and now raises it to legal concerns that kids are not even aware of, um, it has all this rippling effect of of dangers on how, how you view the opposite sex to how you view yourself to what what's important in relationships to even legal ramifications. Mm-hmm. I think the list just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Julie, I know we're going to be wrapping this up before too long, but obviously, I mean, having this discussion about social media, pornography, and just the legal ramifications, uh, maybe, you know, speaking to that a little bit again, before we wrap this up of just some advice to, to parents uh, as they're, you know, giving these devices to their young children. I know when you came on the podcast where we talked, you know, a lot about, uh, just you know the appropriate age there is no appropriate age it's different for every child but maybe some parents uh, some just some practical counsel of you know talking to their children about body image while they know their children are on social media and how often to kind of pull back away from that to take breaks just something along those lines yeah well I um I love to talk about all that in a stewardship mentality but maybe from both a counseling and a parenting perspective, I'm actually becoming less and less convinced that there are good reasons to have kids or teens on social media at all, to have access to the internet at all on their phone. And I know I'm gonna make a lot of people upset. I'm gonna be (laughs) considered overly legalistic or rigid or whatever right adjective it is, but it's just reality. I think we are trying to argue that this is culture and we've got to embrace it and I'm very, very scared at the consequences we're really willing to put in our children's lives with that mentality. 
flip phones or having a iPhone, but you turn the internet off and we're not allowing that to be a danger to our kids. Um, there are way too many schools and sports industries that are using social media as the way of communicating. So our kids feel they have to be on it in order to not be left out. There's so many ways we are perpetuating this cycle in really unhealthy ways that I have, I'm getting to a point where I find it hard to argue that kids should be on social media. Mm. Now, I, I, excuse me. I appreciate you making that comment um, because I, I, I'm getting there more and more. Um, it, it is, you know, as you try to think of some of the good of what's available on social media, it's almost laughable to even say the good of what's, yeah. you know, and and, yeah. and to say, yeah, okay, there might be some good, but at what cost and, and what are we dealing with. I mean, as we, you know, talking about very serious legal ramifications, we're talking about all sorts of disorders that, that can be fed from social media. I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's becoming harder and harder uh, to just justify, let's, you know, put this in the hands of our, our children, you know, sure as they get older. And uh, again, we're not talking about a certain age, but we know they're Lord willing going to leave the house eventually that, I mean, those are some obvious ways to, uh, to put it, these devices in their hands and to be having some of those conversations of this is what's going to be out there. This is how your heart is going to be tempted. Um, but I think honestly, you're just, you're giving a lot of wisdom of just caution out there. So anything else you want to say about that before I kind of ask a, a last question to start drawing this to a close? No, I just think parents, we as parents, I mean, I, I've often said maturity and responsibility. We make those decisions based on maturity and responsibility. I still think parenting and freedoms and things like that are based on those, those ideas. But I've seen very mature, responsible teenagers be given these things and struggle, not because I think they're going out and looking to do evil with their cell phones, but because evil is looking for them. And it causes them to stumble because they're not prepared for the stuff that comes at them. So I can't even argue anymore that wait till a child's mature and responsible because we're just being naive to what we're sacrificing in the process. Mm, yeah, that's that's a good word. Um, Julie, look, as, as we close this uh, conversation out, I know a lot of what we've been discussing is, is biblical truth, and we're asserting truth uh, to you know parents to be sure to instruct their, their children. I can't help but assume there are some of those out there listening, thinking, yeah, kind of rolling their eyes. You know, okay, well, how is this really going to to help? And maybe just kind of speaking to that of why why are we so easily latching on to lies that the culture's teaching us, and we're we're fine with just kind of buying into some of those lies, but then we recoil when we're hearing truth that we need to believe in our own hearts, but then also be telling our, our children. Because, of course, we know as believers, this is God's word. This is his truth that's spoken to us. And so maybe just kind of addressing that as, as those parents maybe out there kind of listening with an eye roll of this isn't going to make any difference in how my children think about themselves, something along those lines. I know that was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, let me make sure I'm understanding. So, so clarify for me, but there, the culture does speak against these things. I mean, there's some great, um, documentaries out there talking about the objectification of women and image and body image issues. There's great stuff being done out there. Um, and Dove International did a study years ago and they put out all these great commercials. I mean, that was a big push. 
So the secular world even acknowledges these, these issues. The problem is it's godless, meaning it's just void mm-hmm. of how we make sense of things accurately. So the world, the culture is doing some great work as even saying, yes, this is a problem. Yes, this is awful. Yes, why won't you guys admit this is awful? But their presuppositions and conclusions are wrong because you kick God out of the picture, you take who the author and creator is of all that's good and right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now that's that's helpful to see that our that our culture is kind of taking the lead on all this. I'd forgotten about Dove doing that campaign, and um, you know, as you referenced, I think Gene Twangy's research in iGen and just how it's a, how so much um, of the world is kind of highlighting some of these issues and the churches somewhat silent. I mean, we're, we're having some conversations, but, but also, um, you know, seeing ways in which we need to continue to, to say, look, we have the answer, <laughs> you know, not be yeah. afraid, um, to, to show how the gospel speaks into these issues. Um, so that's a, a, a good reminder. Um, Julie, we're closing this out. Is there anything that you're working on another book that you have coming out? Any speaking engagements, anything like that you want to tell people to, uh, be sure to, you know, check out just uh, a lot of what you're doing for the kingdom. Again, we want to let people know about that. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, well, currently with New Growth, I'm working on a book called Building Bridges. It is um, expressive activities to build bridges with, with kids and teens, both in counseling and one-on-one ministry with them. So my hope is that will be out in the next six months. I'm, I'm making up that. I don't know when it will be, but hopefully soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. There's lots of resources on ccef.org and uh, you can probably find more about this topic on there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well Julie, thanks again for all your work and uh, we appreciate it every time you come on uh, the podcast and hopefully uh, we'll be getting you at uh, maybe a, a conference before too long, youth leader training or something like that. So thanks again, Julie. Yeah, my pleasure. Without pay, for the king has opened his banquet hall to the beggar, the outcast, and the slave. For the king has opened his banquet hall to the beggar, the outcast, and the slave.